And with your Bibles open, I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to join me in standing this morning as we read the, uh, the text together, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're right in the midst of this great story we call David and Goliath, and, and we're just going to read verse 46 together. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 46, the Bible says this, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. Now I'm going to read on, but we've got David here talking to Goliath. And he said, and, and take thine head from thee, and I'll give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. I want you to take note of that expression near the end of that verse, where the Bible just puts it this way, that all the earth may know, that all the earth may know. I want us to think on that together this morning. Our Father, thank you for the truth of your word, for uh, people like David that we can read of in your inspired and preserved word and, and lives that we can glean from by way of an example. Lord, I do love you today and I pray that you'd work in this service, work in our hearts. Help us to go home a little bit better today than we arrived, better for having been here, for having worshiped, for having studied. And I pray that needs would be met. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. If there was anything that set David apart from the others on the battlefield that day, it wouldn't have been his size. We know that David was substantially smaller than Goliath. His size wouldn't have set him apart from anyone else. It, it wouldn't have been his age. David wasn't really in the prime of life at this point. Most people believe he was a teenager, maybe 16 or 17 years old. So nothing of significance in relationship to his age. He, he wasn't unusual in his size or his age. It, it wouldn't even have been his ability. Now David clearly was a good shot with a slingshot, but we know that a lot of people would have been, and it was God ultimately that guided the stone from David to Goliath. And, and so there were a lot of things that we may think would set David apart, but none of those really were the thing. What really set David apart was he had a courageous faith that compelled him to go. A courageous faith that said go when everything else around him said stop. There was something in David that said, I know everyone thinks I'm nuts for doing this. I know there's no good reason for this to happen. But I just believe in my heart that although everything around me and everyone around me is screaming, stop, there's a greater go on the inside. And I believe that David had a desire for people to know of the goodness and the greatness of his God. If we were to say, David, why did you do what you did? He'd say, I did it that all the earth may know about my God. He loved his God. And he loved people enough that he wanted others to know of his God. So David was inspired really by a love for God and a love for people. Now, had David not clearly revealed to us in in his own words, why he did what he did, this still would have been a great story. It would have been one, it would have been worth studying, it would have been worth reading. But when you understand the reason behind it, what inspired David to do what he did, uh, we can find what we need to have focus and passion and consistency in our lives as well. So why did David go? Let's look into that today. And if you have your notes nearby, the first thought we're going to consider is this. He went because there was a purpose. There was a purpose. 
Now, in the end of, of that verse that, that uh, preceded the battle, the Bible said that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And, and when you dig deep enough into the rationale of David, you discover there was a heart inside him that was the heart of a missionary. David said, I'm going to do the things that I do so that the name of God can be spread far and wide. It was the heart of a missionary. It was the heart of an evangelist. It was the heart of a person of faith that said, I really do care about the glory of God. And I really do care about people around me. I want everybody to know about him. Now, David put up with a lot in the course of his life. I mean, he put up with being on the run from uh, a guy named Saul that wanted to kill him. He had times where things weren't great and at home, and, and he endured those things. But there was something David said, you know what? I can't put up with that. I can't stand for that. Something's got to be done, and it's got to be done right now. I don't even care if it looks crazy. David said, I just can't stand the thought of the name of my God being belittled. I'll do what needs to be done so that people can know how great he is. It's been said that those who've changed the world the most were those who were changed by the world the least. In other words, they never lost sight of their purpose. They never forgot what it was that they were to be doing. And so Coastline, we're trying to be reminded in this couple week series what's going on for us this fall. What this fall season is for our church family is an opportunity to share the gospel with people that don't yet know our God. We want to do what we do that all the earth may know that there's a God that loves them. A God that died for them. A God that offers forgiveness. A God that offers acceptance. A God that can radically change and transform their lives if they'll trust Him by faith. And I guess the question for us personally today is, what would make us go? What would compel us to go out of our way to speak with others? In the late 1800s, there was an English cricket player by the name of C.T. Studd. He'd come to faith in Christ some years earlier, but by his own testimony and admission, he was just kind of going through motions. He'd attend church and so forth, but, but wasn't really living a, a committed life, a life that pursued the purposes of God. Through a series of events in his life and the death of a brother, he made some major decisions to begin to serve God as a missionary. Now, at this time, as I said, he was a cricket player in England, and that means absolutely nothing to me. I'm not exactly sure how to play cricket. I don't know that I've ever seen cricket played. But at the time, he would have been uh, really one of the elite athletes in all of the world. If there were a Sports Illustrated at that time, from what I read, he would have been on the cover. He was well-known and widely respected and regarded for being a great and exceptional athlete of his day. Yet he was a man that began to think of the purpose, the meaning of life. The purpose. He wrote a poem, and in the poem that he wrote were these words. Maybe you've heard these words and didn't know who wrote them. It was a man by the name of C.T. Studd. He said, Only one life, how soon twill pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. That's not to say the sports is not important or there's no place for them. But he began to look at his life and evaluate the life that he was living. And he said, you know, is my life pursuing the purpose of God? Or am I just going after my own selfish purpose? And he said, you know, some changes are in order. Against all that seemed reasonable, he left the sports world. He traveled to China and then to Africa to serve as, as a missionary. And, and while in China, the story of his life reveals that his father passed away and left him 29,000 pounds. And, and I just want you to know of that 29,000 pounds 
His diary records that he gave 5,000 to another missionary by the name of George Mueller. He gave 5,000 more to the Salvation Army. He gave 5,000 more to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And, and he used the remainder to help him in his ministry. And, and he served Jesus until he went to heaven in 1931. Now, I'm not suggesting today that God's desire for you is that, that you'd go resign your job and move to China or Africa and, and, and serve God precisely in that way. But I want to be very clear that I believe it's God's desire that everyone who knows him, that we would live our lives in such a way that others could hear of him, that others could know of his love for them. Think of that. The Apostle Paul had a lot of reasons to stop. Yet if ever there was a man that lived on the go, it was him. He was a man that, that had a deeper purpose, an abiding purpose. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. In other words, Paul was saying this, If Jesus loved us enough to die for those who were spiritually dead, then we who are spiritually alive through Him, should we not live for Him, for His glory? As I understand my job as a pastor, uh, it includes uh, quite a few responsibilities. Of course, I'm to be right before God personally. Uh, I'm to live an authentic life of faith before God. That's where it all begins. Ministry really begins in, in your personal time with God. I'm to be right with my family. And uh, uh, that, that's really where ministry begins after a walk with God is, is my walk with my family. And, and, and I've got to rightly divide the word and teach and so forth. But when you really get right down to the nuts and bolts of what it is that God tells a pastor to do, yes, it's to teach and preach the word and all of those things. But really, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible tells us that, that the work of the pastors is, is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, my job is to, is to minister in such a way that you can be matured in the faith so you personally can get involved in the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ could be edified or, or built up. And today, I want you to know that there is a purpose in life, a great purpose that comes from God. It's a compelling purpose that will call us to go when everything around us would call us to stop. And I want to encourage you to live for God. Do what you do for him. David, why did you go? He'd say, well, there was a purpose. But there's a second thought, and we find it here. There was a process. There was a process. Now, I want to tell you what I believe about, about just about everybody in here today. And when I say just about, I don't have anybody in mind specifically that I'm thinking doesn't believe this or I don't believe about you. But, but I believe in general, people of faith, those that know Jesus Christ, in their heart, there is a desire to live for his purpose. I, I really believe that most people that know the Lord, that there's, there's this sense of, you know, I'd rather live for a higher purpose. I'd rather make much of God. I'd rather go, spiritually speaking, than stop, spiritually speaking. But somehow there's a disconnect between the purpose and the process. I think there's usually a desire. I want to serve God. I want to live for God. I want to make a difference. But we're just not sure how to do it. And so we get stuck in that no man's land, and after a while, the sense of urgency goes away, and time begins to go, and, and many times we, we miss out on the life that we would say, yes, I'd rather live that life. We find a great example in David. Before stating his purpose, he said this. He said, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I'll smite thee, and take thine head 
from thee. Now, those are pretty big words for a teenager to tell a giant. He said, let me tell you what's going to happen here in a minute. I'm taking your head right off of your body. That's what's going to happen. I'm a teenager coming to you a giant, and I just want to go ahead and call my shot, all right, Babe Ruth style, pointing to the uh, the fence in the outfield. He he says, what's getting ready to happen is I'm going to take your head right off of your body, and and that's how it's all going to go down. Now, it sounds to me as though David was naive enough to think that it would all work out just fine. It sounds to me that David just thought, you know, if I live for God and I serve God, God's going to, he's going to intervene. And I know it's not all about me. It's all about God, but, but God's going to use me and God's not going to lose. And so I'm going to do what's right. And David said, I want everybody to know God's going to come through. He's going to win the day. Isn't it great when you have a sense as a child of God, I'm going to do this and I have no doubt it's going to work out just right. I'm going to get involved because I'm believing God. But aren't there those other times where the very best you can come up with at the end of the day is, you know, I'm pretty sure this is what I'm supposed to do and how it will all turn out I'm not too sure on one occasion there were three young men refusing to follow the commands of a king who was commanding them to bow down and worship him and they were threatened with being burned alive I think most of us if we think about dying it's not a real thrilling thought but the thought of dying that way would be less appealing than others I would imagine The Bible gives us their story, how they didn't relent, how they pressed on. And in Daniel chapter 3, the Bible says this, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, but if he doesn't, if this is the end, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You have to love their spirit. They were saying, King, we really don't know how it's all going to turn out. We don't know what's going to come of it all. But one thing we know for sure, we're going to do right because it's the right thing to do. We're not going to bow down and worship you because we've got a God and you're not him. And so whether we make it through this in a great way or whether we get burned and this is our last day, we want you to know we've already decided we're going to do what God would have us to do. I love that. It was their faith that led the way. It's a process of faith. Now, here we are in the midst of a campaign to reach out to uh, our community. We had the Coastline Cares projects, and we're going to get all the information together from that. We've got more happening this week, but yesterday we had people all over North County. We were going to police departments and fire departments and little league-type gangs and, and uh, helping the Pregnancy Resource Center and a homeless shelter. I mean, we were, we were all over the place. You were all over the place trying to bless people and encourage people and, and, and just share the love of Christ with others, and I believe God used that. In addition, we're, we're in the process of passing out thousands of flyers door-to-door in our community and thousands of flyers in in a personal way and and i've made no mistake about it i'm asking our church family to personally invite your friends your neighbors and and your co-workers And, and as we embark on this adventure it would be natural to wonder how's it all going to turn out and i totally get that pastor what do you think it's going to look like next week what's going to come from our labor but really where we need to come in our hearts is the place where we'll say god I'm going to do what I do in life because I trust you. My faith is in the God of the work, not in the result or the outcome 
or the byproduct. God, I'm going to love you when you heal me and when you don't. I'm going to follow you, God. When the finances are easy and when they're tough, God, I'm going to trust you because you're God. This is a process of faith. It's not about finding a way to manipulate God to get our ends accomplished. It's not about finding a way to get our will accomplished on earth through the power of God. It's about getting God's will done in us and through us so that this world can be impacted. Think of that. I think of the words of the psalmist who said this, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You see, the Bible says, He that goeth. He that goeth. And I want you to know that when we go as prompted by faith, God always uses us, oftentimes in ways we wouldn't expect. But God always uses us when we go for his glory. I recall when our family came this way to start the church, and um, I couldn't get away from the fact that this is what God wanted us to do. And, and again, it was one of those moments where there were a lot more reasons why coming here was a bad idea. A lot of things saying stop, but there was that inner sense that God is saying go. And so we made the decision, all right, Lord, we'll go if, if that's what you'll have us to do. And, and, and I do remember thinking, Lord, I'll go. And if things don't work out, if, if the church never really gets started, if nobody ever really comes, then, then I'll just do my best to thank you for letting me try. And uh, we'll chalk it up to a lesson learned and, and we'll move on. Because in my mind, I could never see how would this ever actually work. But what I found as I win is that God can take anybody, God can take a nobody, and do something special. Anybody that will say, God, I'll follow your will, I'll live by faith, I'll share your word, I'll share your love, God can take a life like that. And I really believe that when it comes to evangelism, the problem isn't all the people that don't know Jesus Christ. I think as we look at our world today, the problem may be that there are those who do know Jesus Christ who refuse or fail to share him, our great God and Savior, with, with those around us. And I believe one reason that we fall into that trap is because we just don't really believe God would use us. We don't believe he'd use us. Oh, let me tell you something. You know what the story of David and Goliath tells me? That God can use a teenager. You know what my experience in life has taught me? God can use someone like me. And I know that God can use someone like you. And what a shame it would be to get to the end of your life and never really know what it is to live by faith and trust God and be the kind of person that can love other people to him. Let God use you in that way. We simply have to trust and obey. It is a process of faith. But there's another element we've got to get a hold of, and it's so simple. Uh, there probably is a better way to word this, but the third thought I want you to see today is this. There was a person, a person. So we have to have a purpose. Without it, there's no point, right? And we have to have a process or we'll not know what to do. But let's not forget that that God works through people. God doesn't always work through programs or procedures. He works through people. When God wants to get a work done, He always touches the heart of a person. God works through people. And I want you to know that David is the man that God used in this sense. But it would not have happened for him had he not personally decided, you know, I'm going to get involved and I'm going to do my best for the glory of God. He had to make that decision. 
He had to make that decision. And sometimes in our Christian lives, we get stuck kind of in that analysis period where we think and we wonder and we speculate, and we never do quite pull the trigger and make a decision. That's it. I'm in. I'm in. I think of, of Joel in chapter 3 and verse 14 where the Bible records multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. You know, sometimes we get stuck in those valleys of decision, spiritually speaking. We get stuck between the thought of go or stop. And we're just kind of in the middle and, and, and we need to be reminded that there's a God that says, go ye therefore. Go, go, go. Tell others about me. Several months ago, I had an opportunity to meet a pastor that I'd known of, I'd heard of, I'd, I'd read about, and, and he was very gracious to give me some time, and, and by God's grace, we were able to uh, establish kind of a friendship. I remember telling my wife, I can't believe it, I think this guy actually likes me. I was really shocked by this, and she said, well, honey, you're not that bad, you know, and so that was nice, but we began talking, and I tried to learn from him, and, and uh, as we were talking, he began to ask me questions about ministry, and I, I could tell what he was doing. He was gently pushing me, pushing me. He was encouraging me to dream a little bigger, to look a little further down the road, to be a little bit more creative in, in my approach and philosophy, to be thankful for that core from which I'd learned and all the example I'd gleaned, but to recognize, hey, man, the landscape of the world is changing so rapidly. Sometimes our approach needs, needs to change, not our theology, but we can be really creative. How can we reach more people for the Lord? And, and as, as we were talking, he was being very careful not to tell me what to do. He didn't want to usurp the role of, of God, the Spirit, but he was just nudging me, nudging me, telling me, hey, you can do more. You can go further. Let me tell you something about me. I often find it helpful to have someone in my life that says, hey, listen, you can do a little more. You can go a little further. We have a great God. And as you give more of your life to him, he's going to use you in a greater way. Go for it. Dream big. It, it, launch out in life. Go. I find it helpful in my life to have people that believe in a great God and believe in the ability for God to use anybody, even people like me. I find it helpful for someone in my life to speak truth into me and encourage me to go. And let me tell you what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to speak truth into your life and to nudge you a little bit. Now, I don't want to push too hard. You'll turn around and push back. Nobody likes pushy people. But I think all of us understand the value of those little promptings, those nudges, those times of encouragement. When someone says, listen, you can do great things for God. Your life can make a great impact. There are people in this world, and the greatest day, humanly speaking, will be their day when they meet you because you're going to be the one God's going to use to change things in their lives for the better. I'm encouraging you today to live for God in a powerful way, and that's a decision that we need to make. With all due love and respect, it's really time for us to say, you know, coming to church alone it's going to have to be really unfulfilling for me for the rest of my Christian life. Oh, I want to get up and leave this place and go. Oh, and then I'll come back and get the encouragement and the love and the fellowship. And then I want to go. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we made that decision? We want to go. We want to go. Oh, listen, David said there's a God, and I want you to know he's not just in Israel. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's a God who's in the lives of those that know him now and a God who wants to be in the lives of those who've yet to meet him. I had the opportunity a few years ago to visit 
the actual spot where David and Goliath fought. And um, it's a beautiful valley. Um, I, think, I think we have a picture of that valley, don't we? No? Anyhow, it's uh, a beautiful valley, a nice setting, uh, trees on either side, as you can imagine. And, and I could just see it all happening. In fact, I remember walking down, there's an area where there'd been a river, and we know that David went and picked up the five smooth stones, and I picked up a bag of rocks and brought them home. That was my souvenir from the Holy Land, a bag of rocks. I'm sure in customs, they're thinking, why did you bring rocks home, you know? But I thought it was cool. I liked those rocks. And, and when I was there, I kind of thought through it. And in my mind's eye, I was just imagining how it all took place and how David must have felt as, as he had that slingshot over his head and, and letting it go. But what I want you to see today is the key is he did let it go. He didn't hold on to it. The time came where that, that rock was released. And God then was able to take that which David had let go and to supernaturally guide it to the forehead of that great giant. Today I want to encourage you to consider the purpose and consider the process, but then realize that we have to personally say, God, I will, I'll, I'll let go, so to speak, for your glory. When I was a teenager, I had a friend whose name was Don, and he was older than me by quite a few years, but uh, we had a good friendship, and he was a great guy. Don was uh, really creative at, at making money, and I kind of thought that was neat. He always had a nice car and a lot of things like that. And he decided one year, I'm going to become a hunter. And so he did what people with money do. He, he got all the cool hunting clothes. He got, he got a brand new gun. I mean, he got everything he got to get. He, he put in to get a, a hunting permit in Colorado, and he, he got all that stuff. And he said, Steve, you want to go hunting with me? And I said, sure. And most of you know, I've got family in Colorado, so I thought this would be just great. And so we went out to Colorado, and as we got there the first day, we went out and we did a little scouting, and we found a really good spot and evidence of, of deers and so forth. And the next morning, long before sun up, we were there waiting, waiting. And uh, I remember that morning, it's amazing when you're just being still and it's that quiet that you can just literally hear an animal walking through the woods, and it, it sounds about like a bus pulling up to a bus stop. I remember hearing that animal way off, just kind of walking in, and, and I'd, I'd never really hunted at that point, and Don had never hunted, but uh, I kind of know how it works, right? You, you know, the animal comes, and, and you harvest the animal. And I remember as that deer got closer, Don, he stood up, and he had a, a lever-action gun. And there was one in the chamber, he cocked it, and that deer walked in, and he, he did the lever again, and again, five times. And, uh, and as the deer got spooked and ran off, he looked at me, he said, I cannot believe I missed that deer. Now, there's something in hunting that they call buck fever. It's when you get so excited when you see an animal, you kind of lose your mind temporarily. And, and Don had ejected out five live rounds. Never one time had he pulled the trigger. But in his mind, he was shooting every time. And he was just looking through that scope. And he'd rack that and, and, and he never did pull the trigger. Just kept ejecting shells. To that I say, what a total bummer. That's one of those stories you hope your hunting partner doesn't tell the whole church years later, you know. <laughs> Sometimes as people of faith, we have the power of God within us, the capacity 
for greatness. We hold on to it. We don't let it go. Uh, we, we, we go through motions, and, and, and we do. We love God, and we love people, but, but God has put things in us that he wants us to bring to the table, so to speak, and we keep it there. My prayer today is that we would not hold back, that we wouldn't hold back. What is next Sunday, Open House Sunday? It's a divine and sanctified excuse to invite our friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members to a place where they can hear the truth of the gospel, where they can be encouraged and helped. And my prayer is that we would not hold back, that we'd let it go, so to speak. It's a great opportunity next week. What a shame it would be. What a shame it would be for our lives to be lived and they bury us and there's still bullets in our gun. There's gifts in our life that God's given us that we've not yet given back to Him. There's opportunities to bless and to inspire and to help, but we kept them in. I want to tell you what set David apart was his willingness to say, you know something? For the glory of God and for the good of those who will hear of this testimony, I'm going to let this stone fly. I'm going to give. I'm doing this for God and for the good of others.